Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 368. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, I interview a friend of mine and a fellow podcaster, Joe Salcihai. And we talk about how to know if a financial advisor is right for you or not. And this actually was a request from someone who wrote a review of Be Wealthy and Smart and asked if I would interview Joe. So this is for you, and I hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. I am so excited to welcome to the podcast Joe Salcihai from Stacking Benjamins. How are you, Joe? I'm fantastic, Linda. You and I don't get to talk enough, so. I know. Well, you and I are co-host of the Money Tree Investing Podcast, of course, with two of our other co-hosts. And we have such a great time each week. I honestly have to say, it's one of the highlights of just hearing your voice and you make me laugh every Wednesday morning (laughs) when we do our show. And it's such a joy and a pleasure. So I'm so excited to have you all to myself today. Yay! Well, well, I'm I'm very excited excited to be here here with you. you. I'm I'm glad that you asked. And I know that we're going to help people a lot with, you know, deciding what they think about a financial planner, because that's pretty important. It's super important. And, you know, I really haven't covered this topic, but today we're going to talk about clues that a financial advisor might not be a good fit for you. And I think that is a topic that a lot of people want to know. First of all, I get asked a lot, where do you find one? So we'll cover that. But also, once you find one, how how do you know if they're not right for you? So where do you think people should go to find a financial advisor? Yeah, I think the first place people should go is to people that are like them or people that they maybe look up to but have similar circumstances. They're kind of where where you want to be, but not too far ahead. You don't want to have a financial advisor working with people vastly different than you. Uh, but you want somebody you want somebody who you you know. It, Really, I was a financial planner for 16 years, and as much as anything, it was about having somebody in your corner that can do two things. They can identify with your plight, whatever your plight may be, uh, on one hand, and on the other hand, there's somebody, for me, that's a little bit of a... Gordon Ramsay, uh, you know, the, the, the chef guy, uh, that will, that will be on your team. Like whenever Gordon Ramsay's on television for people that don't know this chef, he always comes into an episode of his, of his kitchen nightmare show. And he gets in a big fight with the chef and the people that own the restaurant, right? We don't want that guy. But at the second half of it, of the show, usually the way the formula works is he's kind of got his arm around them and he's disagreeing with them, but he's still on their team. And for me, that's kind of what I'm looking for in not just a financial advisor, but for somebody who is a fitness coach, somebody who's a dietitian, whatever. Somebody's going to say, you know what, Joe, I know you love donuts and I know they taste great. 
but a donut is not phenomenal for who you're trying to be <laughs> a year from now or two years from now. And then you go, yeah, okay, uh, uh, I get it. Um, so, so I start there. I definitely don't finish there, though. So that gives me an idea of, of who is going to be a good fit for me. And then once, once I uh, meet somebody or once I get a recommendation, then I go and I meet them. But even before that, I can d- use a few tools. There's a great tool called Broker Check. I can go and I can look and see if the person has had any uh, problems that have been reported. I'll give an example. When I was a financial planner, I had a client where, Linda, I identified a problem that, that this client had had with a former advisor, and the client filed uh, filed a grievance against the company, against the old advisor, and against me, even though I'm the one that pointed it out. What's cool? Yeah. What's cool is, is that it's the complaint is in detail and I don't even know if it's there. I haven't looked in a while if the complaint's still there because I don't know how long it takes them to get rid of somebody that no longer has licenses uh, to get rid of their, their broker check record. But if it is there, what you'll see is, is that there's this complaint. It, it tells you a little bit about it. You'll also see that during my 16 year career, I had one complaint and you'll also be able to then ask me because obviously one one problem on an advisor's record is not damning of them. But if they have problem after problem after problem after problem, you start to see a pattern. Um, but for even a guy like me, if you would have come in and met with me, you'd say, Joe, what's this problem that you had with this client? Th- that, that brings up a great conversation with the advisor about how they work and why they'd have a problem with the client, which, you know, those conversations uh, end up, I think, going really well. It gives you more clues as to whether you're going to be a good fit or whether you're not going to be a good fit. Finally, I think, you know, a certified financial planner, somebody is a certified financial planner. It means they went through some very intense training and courses and passed a, a harrowing test uh, to get that. And then they have continuing education requirements to keep that designation. I I think that uh, while that's not the end all, like I wouldn't hire somebody, Linda, because they're a CFP, but I certainly like that as one of the hurdles for somebody to jump. I knew some CFPs who were morons. <laughs> so that's not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that's a reason to hire them, but it is one of the checkboxes that I'd like to see that shows that they at least have a, have a, uh, have a bottom standard of being acceptable. Right. Well, you bring up, a few good points here. First of all, the Gordon Ramsay analogy, I really like that. And that to me sounds more like a financial planner, which is kind of the coach that can cover a broader array of topics than a financial advisor. So let's talk about the difference between a financial planner and a financial advisor, because a lot of financial planners are certified financial planners, CFPs, they have the designation, they don't have to, but if they do, obviously it's extra education they've gone through and having in there ourselves, it's it. We know how difficult that is. What do you think? Does someone need to have a financial planner, a financial advisor, or when do they go to which? I think it depends on what you're really looking for. To your point, a lot of times financial advisors are people that just deal with investing, where a financial planner will work with the six areas of financial planning, which include your. Let's see if I can get these all at the top of off the top of my head without any notes in front of me. Uh, your your uh, financial position, which includes your your net worth and getting your budget together, your debt, that type of thing. Your risk management, like uh, uh, if you go through an extended. period 
period where you don't have any income? Do you have a cash reserve through your homeowners, your your car insurance, your life insurance strategy? Uh, on that note, your tax planning, your estate plan, your investment plan, and then your retirement plan. And some people ask, well, how's your retirement plan different than your investment plan? Retirement plans include things like, when do I take social security, right? When do I, uh, how do I have money coming out of my accounts instead of going into my accounts, which is a lot of what invest things about. So a financial planner will cover all those things. But my, my best clients were great investors, Linda. They were great. And and I couldn't imagine them having somebody in their corner telling them how to invest better. What they really wanted was somebody who could do things that they already knew how to do, but somebody that would do it much faster. As an example, I could probably build a car. Uh, I'm, I'm, my, my dad worked for General Motors. I know how a car runs. I'm familiar with the, you know, the technology and kind of where the pieces go. Uh, not especially handy, but I can probably build one. I prefer to hire that done because I, I, I can just focus on the things I'm good at instead of deciding every single piece of the car. Most of my clients at the end of my career as a financial planner were those type of people. They could do all the stuff I could do. I could just do it much faster so they could focus on how do I make money? How do I how do I make sure that the areas where I'm weak, I'm filling in those holes and my strengths, I'm doing more of that. So a financial planner, a good financial planner, I think, is almost like an agent or a manager on your team. If you're you know, think of yourself as Linda P. Jones, the rock star. And I'm Joe Salcihai, the Rockstars manager. My job is to tell you, hey, we need to have this many fans by this time next year, i.e., if I'm working toward a goal, I want to have this much money toward that goal next year. Uh, here's here's the things that are going on with the new tax code, Linda. I think you need to take advantage of this thing with the new tax law, this thing with the new tax law. You can forget about the rest. Like somebody who takes all this information and just tells you what's relevant to you, that's what I think a good financial planner does versus just an advisor who probably wants to invest your money for you. Yeah, and the advisor can be more focused on the investment portion, whereas the planner, as you mentioned, had the six broad areas of coverage, which can be totally different because they could be fee-based and charge a fee for a written financial plan if they're a financial planner versus a financial advisor isn't really going to do that, right? They're just going to help with their investments and their investment plan and that kind of thing, talking with couple or the individual and getting their investment plan organized. My favorite part of of the whole process of meeting with clients was sitting down and focusing on those things, Linda, that we could control. And I think that a lot of times with a financial advisor, a financial advisor will start off a conversation with, well, here's what the market's doing, and here's what so-and-so, and and here's the strategy of these managers, these active managers that we're using, and it's all a bunch of gobbledygook. I preferred to sit down with my client and say, okay, Linda, we need to be at X amount of money by today. That was our goal that we stated we were going to have the last time we met, maybe six months ago. And here's where we're at today. And if we're ahead of the game, that facilitates one discussion, not about the markets, but about what you are going to do, the things that you can control versus a whole different discussion. If we say, hey, Linda, you're behind by $15,000 or $20,000 from that benchmark that we set six months ago. We can look at the reasons why we're behind, but then we also develop a plan of what you're going to do differently, focusing again on what you could control. And I think that's where the power is. People talk a lot about fees when it comes to investments. That's that's an important dragon to fight. 
it's not the most important dragon. The, the, the dragon I think it's the most important is that people don't save enough. They don't do the they, they don't talk enough about the things that they can control and control those aspects of their financial life. Yeah, I totally agree with that. We get focused on the fees, and the fees aren't the end-all, be-all. And it, de- it depends what you're getting for your fees, obviously, too. If you're getting a lot of service, right. a lot of added value, then it's worth paying for. But if you're not, then it's a whole other question. So what are some kind of warning signs that maybe a financial advisor isn't really working well for you? or working? This is, this is my favorite topic. Actually, we can even start, Linda, if you want, with you go to meet with that advisor for the first time and you walk into their office. I think you can tell from the reception area. How about that? You can tell from the reception area of an advisor's office a lot of clues about whether this is going to be a fit or not. So you walk into a financial advisor, financial planner's uh, office. If look at the receptionist, if the receptionist greets you happily, is very comforting, is somebody who's made to or is trained to help you uh, uh, get in the right frame of mind to have a great planning discussion, I think that that. That stuff isn't just – sometimes it's a receptionist who's really just good at their job, but that stuff usually emanates from the top. And a lot of times I would walk into – because my practice was all over the metro Detroit area, so I would end up meeting people in different offices. And some of the receptionists were absolutely horrible, and I knew it was because the person that owned that office was a horrible boss, and he was a rotten advisor. And so if the receptionist isn't happy to be there, guess what? You're probably not going to be. You're probably not going to be happy to be there either. Uh, th- there was a very close correlation between that. You visited a lot of financial advising offices. Have you? Did you notice the same thing? I did notice some of that, although uh, many of the offices I visited were in the same firm that I worked for. So, yeah, uh, I walked in. They knew me. I wasn't an unknown person. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. But yeah. but I hear what you're saying. Where yeah, the definitely the the first the first impression is the receptionist. What what's the next impression? What's the next thing? Oh for? Well, well, just look, look at the reception, reception area itself. itself. I'll tell you, uh, a financial planning meeting. I mean, you know, as a financial planner, I, I had to put myself in in the uh, head and the mood of people coming to visit me. You're bearing your soul. You haven't showed anybody these numbers. You're talking about your biggest goals and your dreams as somebody that you don't know that well. So people come in, they're generally on edge, they're nervous, they're not sure, they don't feel like they've done enough sometimes. They think that the advisor is going to beat them up a little bit. So they're they're worried. If, if you walk into an advisor's office or a planner's office and there's a television and that television's on one of the financial shows and it's go, 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 buy, 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 sell, 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 stock market all day, uh-huh. horrible because that shows me that the advisor is going to probably position themselves as a stock jockey or that they're somehow omniscient and they know what's going to happen versus the fact that most of us don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We obviously want to uh, – we want to do our homework, but but – I loved walking into offices where the travel channel was on, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or or something that was much more calming. Um, oh, and advisors that had like political news on, and so they're focused on once again things that we can't directly control. Again, they haven't given a lot of thought to um, uh, to the overall client experience. So I don't. I, 
I really want to look at what magazines are out. Are they stock jock magazines or are they more lifestyle magazines? What's on the what's what's playing on the television? And then just how ornate is it? Like I want I want my advisor to be successful, but I don't want it to be just over the top wealthy because you know we get back to that fee point, Linda. <laughs> I I don't want all my fees going so that my advisor is at the Taj Mahal. Yeah, exactly. It's Linda here. Just wanted to pause for a moment and ask if you knew Betterment is the largest independent online financial advisor with more than $10 billion in assets under management and more than 300,000 customers. Their service helps to improve long-term returns and lower taxes for retirement planning, building wealth, and other financial goals. Betterment's tax-coordinated portfolio can increase a portfolio's value by an estimated 15% over 30 years. Their annual advisory fee is only one quarter of 1% with unlimited messaging access to their team of licensed financial experts through a mobile app. Of course, investing involves risk. For listeners of Be Wealthy and Smart, you can get up to one year managed free. Visit betterment.com forward slash be wealthy. That's B-E-T-T-E-R. M-E-N-T dot com forward slash B-E-W-E-A-L-T-H-Y. I'll post these links in the show notes and on my website. And now back to our podcast. Now they've come through the lobby. They've met the receptionist. They've sat there for a minute. They've checked out the whole area. Now they're walking into the financial advisor's office. Now what do you do to make some decisions about the advisor? Yeah. Very first thing, it's, it, I like, I, and I couldn't do this. This was a flaw in my system. I love it when the advisor reached you themselves. Um, I didn't have time. I, I, I was very, had a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, meetings back to back, so I'd have my assistant bring somebody back. But we also had a game plan there for, once again, calming, re- helping people uh, relax and get in the right mood to, to have some fun with their financial plan. I don't like it when the advisor sits behind a desk in a really comfortable chair and then the couple or the individual sits on the other side of the desk in a much crappier chair much much less comfortable and then it's I, I always feel like in those offices like they're they're there to kiss the ring of the king or queen you know I feel like you're in it's, the principal's office and you're in trouble yeah yeah it totally feels they got this high back chair and they sit back well Linda let me tell you what you did wrong today uh, I don't like that power play I like advisors who um, and there were plenty of advisors that did this had a separate table in their office maybe a round table uh, in my case it was oblong but but where we're all sitting together the same chairs at a table away from that desk. So there's no power play going on. We're all on a team together. That tells me a lot that the advisors thought about that relationship and that they want to be in your corner instead of dictate from on high. I also like a whiteboard. You know, I like advisors that are going to teach me concepts. So if a, if an advisor has a whiteboard and they get up and they, they you know, I don't want to say dumb down a concept. They, they, they want to make a concept easier that might start off seeming intimidating. You know, like I remember explaining to people how a mutual fund worked using this analogy of a window pane and I draw just a, a, a window with a lot of different panes with nine different panes up on the whiteboard and uh, show how that that 
was uh, the basis of a mutual fund. You know, if a if a rock goes through one of those panes, you still have the other eight panes, and a mutual fund's diversification. And it's amazing how, with just a little creativity, an advisor can become somebody that's going to make you smarter with investments instead of somebody who's going to take it from you and do it for you. I personally don't want somebody who's going to do it for me. I want somebody who's going to do the legwork for me, but I want to walk out of there smarter about my money than I was before I walked in. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, from the woman's perspective, it's important to feel uh, respected and given attention to as much as the man is in the room. And sometimes I've heard that doesn't happen. So I think that's a really important point that financial advisors really should give equal time and attention to spouses and not just talk to one and ignore the other, especially if the other one is the breadwinner. Sometimes the woman is actually the main breadwinner and has actually been ignored, which just doesn't make any sense to me, but apparently I would get, I would get frustrated in meetings when I would see a, a male spouse do that. And I'd have a male spouse walk in with a macho chip on his shoulder and uh, would immediately want to get in the weeds with me about a bunch of irrelevant crap <laughs> instead of talking about the budget and and our goals and our feelings about those goals and where we, you know, where we want to go and what we want to do. And, and, um, I remember on several occasions having to back down, and, and, and often, I'd say 99% of the time, it was the man. I'd have to back the man down and say, let's let's make this a meeting that we can all be in instead of you and I just trying to one-up each other about who knows more. So that's a good point, that clients have to be good clients, too, and not have to try and show up the financial advisor or show how they know more or they're better or you know put-downs or whatever. So that's that's a good point, too. So how much time do we give a financial advisor? If someone has a new financial advisor, how long does it take to determine if they're really good and if there's someone you should stick with or someone that isn't working for you? I think most of the, if you're hiring a financial advisor the way that I would, which is for education and communication, making it so somebody's doing the legwork, the stuff that I could probably already do, but they can do it quicker, then you're going to know fairly soon whether they're communicating the way that you want them to communicate, whether they're, they're you know, they're not talking over your head. Uh, I just had somebody write to me with uh, this type of question saying, I love my advisor. And and they do phenomenal for uh, phenomenally well for me with my investments. The problem I have, I don't understand what the hell we're doing. That to me is the fundamental issue. If you don't understand what you're doing, and your advisor passes away, what do you do next? You know, advisor gets hit by a truck. I'm not sure where you go from there. So uh, uh, I think you know fairly quickly. Uh, if it's a fit or not. And, and I don't think you leave right away. I think you have to have the guts to address the issue with the advisor. Just say, you know, I think there's a communication gap. Here's what I expected and here's what you're giving me. And it's not that it's right or wrong. It's just this is what I wanted and I'm not sure if you can fit that. If you can fit that, then let's stay together. If you can't fit that, it's probably best for both of us that, that I move on. I think it's so important that people do understand what their advisor's doing because otherwise they're open to a Bernie Madoff. I mean, it, right. you know, the whole thing with Bernie Madoff was, oh, you're, you're going to make your 10%. You're in, you're out. No matter what the market does, you're going to make 10%. Well, people didn't understand how was he making 10% when the market wasn't making 10% and they didn't understand. And he just kept patting them on the head saying, you know, everything's okay and you're going to make your 10%. And it turned out that it was a big fat fraud. So I think it's super important that people do understand exactly what the strategy is and how they're accomplishing that. 
Me too. And, and it's difficult sometimes. I always felt bad with some clients that had some severe estate planning issues. And with the new tax law, those, you know, there's going to be a lot fewer of those people with the estate tax uh, being raised like it was. But, you know, we started getting into some of these permanent life insurance policy things, the 1% or 2% of people where these actually make sense, Linda. <laughs> I felt bad for my client because I'm like, I think I could explain this all day and I'm fairly certain you're still not going to get it. Um, but, but the other 98% of the time, you know, excluding that or some of the, the, the charitable strategies that you do, or maybe a strategy involving um, uh, a child that can't take care of themselves as an adult, maybe uh, those types of things. You, you should be able to write it on a napkin. I love this guy, David Chilton, The uh, Wealthy Barber, this great older Canadian book on financial planning. And he says, if you can't write the gist of your strategy on a napkin, it's probably too complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there are tax laws and strategies that are complicated, but it doesn't mean, I mean, you know, it can be explained and it can right. be understood, but it is complicated. I mean, certainly you're not going to be a tax professional uh, listening <laughs> to you know, them explain all of that. It can get very complex, but it's important to understand why you're doing the things you're doing and, and how that all works. And you, you can even ask them for resources. You know, often I would give my clients resources to read. Uh, I like, like Rick Edelman's The Truth About Money, if somebody wanted the basics between our meetings, you know, that I, I think very similarly to the way Rick does on a lot of topics. So uh, I would refer them to that. Or if somebody had a debt problem, they were just starting out, you know, I would have them read Dave Ramsey for people just starting out. I think that's a great read for people later on, maybe not so much, but I try to identify authors. So if people wanted more information outside of our meeting. Once again, I can help them cut through the, the, the big number of books out there, resources out there and tell them which ones are really going to help them individually. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And having just written my book, which hasn't come out yet, one of the big things that I talk about is how couples aren't always on the same page. A lot of times a spouse predominantly the husband, has really good intent of, of being kind of a family patriarch who takes care of the spouse. And oftentimes, and it's often the wife, not always, but often the wife, who doesn't really understand everything that's happening. And getting on the same page just so that they understand and know what's going on so that in case anything happens to the spouse is so important. How do you recommend that couples get on the same page? I well, two things, and sticking with the financial advisor theme, if only one person in the couple goes to meet the financial advisor, even if you delegate the tasks so that this is what generally he does or, or she does and the other one doesn't take care of that part, man, I want to see both of you. Because the thing that stinks, even if you sit there and you don't understand anything, it, if your spouse dies – and and you're stuck in this office with this person you've never met before. Maybe you met once, um, and you're now paired with them as your partner. And you don't know how they think. You don't know how they 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 correspond with you. You don't know anything. That's a tough spot to be in, especially when you're emotional. So, I like seeing the couple come to every financial planning meeting together. It's it's actually kind of funny, Linda, because there were some meetings. We would have such great meetings that I was very, very certain that that couple was going to have great sex that night. <laughs> like it was, it was going to be, it was going to be a fun night at their house because uh, the 
the financial plan was going well. They were communicating better. And, you know, just when the, the communication lines are open, I don't know. For a financial planner, it felt like I should have been playing some Barry White sometimes. But the, the, on, the, on the other aspect, and maybe, maybe a little bit less uncomfortable, um, this, uh, uh, I love the idea of, of a weekly meeting, you know, and it's not a long meeting and, and I've seen people call this a monthly meeting or a quarterly meeting. I, I don't think those are often enough. I like a weekly meeting over dinner, maybe even at a restaurant. If you use an app, like something like clarity money or mint or empower, or one of those, you know, money tracking things, take those out on your phone, walk through your recent transactions, talk about, uh, bills that are coming up in the next month. Talk about your your uh, family's big goals that are coming up. Cheryl and I, as an example, we have a vacation in in September. So we decided to establish this simple fund. We have, we have money to pay for it right now, but we thought it'd be fun to set up as a challenge to pay for it with cash that we don't yet have. So we uh, set up a RISE account online and we have money going from, uh, from monies that we make into this RISE account and we're building this journey Germany vacation as we as we go. It's just something fun that we're doing together. Um, and I love that. And when we have our weekly meeting, I find in that communication line is very open. I find that the next week goes really well. Uh, if it if when we don't, because we're very busy people, uh, slowly but surely the wheels start to come off the bus a little, and we start seeing that you know we don't handle our money as well the next the next few weeks. We might go out to eat more than we than we probably should. We don't meal plan enough. Which, by the way, it's funny. We could probably go out to uh, restaurants to eat fairly often. I actually not only do I feel healthier, I actually enjoy making dinner at home. And so when we take that time to do the meal plan and grocery shop together, set ourselves a budget just for groceries, uh, it, it ends up being fantastic for our relationship. Yeah, well, you can tell that you're on the same page, and that is what's so important. You know, not we know that most couples fight about money, and it's one of the most contentious things about marriage. But it doesn't have to be because look how you and Cheryl set that up for success. You have a common goal that you're both working toward. There's no judgment and criticism. There's no blame. It's being on the same page and appreciating what the other person is doing and then both working toward the same goals. And I think oftentimes couples get kind of messed up because one wants one thing and another wants another thing and they don't have that overlap of common area of being on the same page. And so, you know, there ends up being this tug of war and this push and pull, but setting oh, yourself and, and, up and, and on the same page is really the key, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes, Linda, they're unavoidable. Well, there are fights that would be avoidable, but it's but it's not that people are off the deep end. And I'll give you an example, because before we set up these weekly meetings, um, I remember coming home one day. I knew where all of the dollars were. Cheryl kind of knew where the dollars were. And I walked in, and she had a bunch of new clothes for our twins. And I knew we didn't have the money for the clothing, but we hadn't talked. And we had this massive argument that we could have just avoided. You know, we could have totally avoided it had we had a discussion uh, uh, ahead of time about it. I'm somebody who very much likes board games. And I remember other times where we hadn't had our talk in a, in a while, a new board game uh, would come out. And I'd come home with a board game. And Cheryl goes, where the hell are you getting the money for that? So whether it's school clothes or board games or whatever, whatever it might be, if you have a plan – 
ahead of time, if you talk about it, hey, guess what? There's this, you know, uh, school starting next week. We got to have clothing for the kids. All right, what are we going to budget for that? And then you're working together on it. Or there's this hot new board game that, you know, we really like to pick up. Uh, it's going to be 60 bucks. Where's that money going to come from? Well, here's, here's what we do to afford that. Then when we come home with either school clothes or board games, it makes it sound like she's worried about much more important stuff than I am, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, I don't know, but I think it's just important. The information sharing is so important rather than, uh, you know, one person being in the dark and the other person knowing everything or things being secretive or uh, people just having their own agenda, running in different directions and not being on the same page. And it's just so important to get it out in the open and be working in the same direction. I think that will make a marriage better and it will make certainly their finances better. It's so much more fun too. I'll just say that the fun factor is so much better. And and you know what? And for people that are single, if you have a budgeting buddy, just having somebody that you're talking to that you're budgeting with, you might not go into detail as much. But this, you can't say enough for, about masterminds, Linda, and accountability partners. Those are huge. Yes, I agree. Love that. Well, Joe, this has been fantastic to talk with you today. Tell everyone where they can get more from you. We have a podcast that comes out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, where people learn a lot here on Be Wealthy and Smart. Linda, you know, if you learn something listening to our show, Stacking Benjamins, you should probably keep it to yourself because our, our show our show is based on the science of play and we really have. It's a financial variety show and we have a lot of fun. And like you do here, we have uh, we have uh, fantastic guests. And uh, But our, our conversations are shorter, less in-depth. We try to introduce you to people and to concepts and then – let people find great places like this. I have a new show out, which is not an hour long, like the second Benjamin show. It's called money in the morning. And it's a 15 minute show where it's just a couple headlines. And so on one recent show, there were two headlines. One was about this. Did you see this uh, jewelry heist at the uh, Ritz hotel in Paris where they made off with four and a half million dollars worth of jewelry? No. They ended up finding the jewelry, but we take headlines like that and talk about, so what does this have to do with you? Well, if, if you own anything expensive like jewelry, collectibles, you want to have those appraised and you want to get a rider on your homeowners or on your renter's insurance. So we take some headlines that are in the news. We tie them to things in your financial plan. And every morning you know, for 15 minutes, you get some good basic information based on stuff that's happening out in the world. Awesome. And Joe, how do they connect in with Money in the Morning? Uh, just wherever you listen to Be Wealthy and Smart, just type in Money in the Morning and you'll find us uh, there. We're just about everywhere. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks a ton, Linda. This is great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.